Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me, as always, from Southampton, England, the 2020 Baltic Super League champion, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, congratulations, man. Thanks. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, we went 5-0, and uh, played some good teams, had a, had a lot of fun. So we're feeling pretty good with how we're playing right now. Yeah, you, you even wound up getting some order of merit points out of it, even though we talked about uh, last time we'd said that you weren't. <laughs> uh, so that was really funny. So Rob started posting on Facebook, and I guess Jerry Gertz saw Rob's posts. So they were messaging back and forth, and Jerry decided it qualified under special events category because uh, there were there were a fair number of good European teams in it. Uh, Tobias Tuna, who's the they're going to be representing Denmark at the Worlds was in that event. Uh, Turksons, Martins Turksons, who's the skip of the Latvian team, and they just missed making the playoffs in the B-Pool was in it. Um, there's a good uh, junior team from Russia, St. Petersburg, that was in it. So there was it was quality teams, kind of like, like I said, it's not Euro A, but we picked it the event because it had the kind of teams uh, that kind of work for the level of competition we're targeting this year. I, I was I actually watched some of your games that that curling club that little two sheeter in Riga that you guys were playing and it looked pretty nice. Yeah, it's so it's it's really cool. It's uh, basically I'm not sure how long ago, probably five ten years ago, uh, a group of thirty eight curlers in Riga got together and they all became shareholders and they invested and they did an arena, uh, not an arena, a warehouse conversion. So it's a two sheet warehouse. And what they did is rather than putting the warm room and stuff at the end, they put it along the side. So they took out a little bit of ice space doing that. But they actually have a really nice kind of lounge area and fairly large locker rooms given the size of the club. So it was a really nice facility. Uh, The ice was fantastic. It was basically 14, 14 and a half the entire time. Um, The bar was amazing. I think Rob's favorite feature was the self-serve bar, one euro a beer. So it's always a good thing to say. An honor system, so you just wrote down your team name, how much beer you took, and you settled up at the end of the weekend. So that was a nice feature too. That's very European. Uh, I can't. I can't imagine. Well, that, what, uh, one euro for a beer is not very European. I mean, if you do that in Sweden, it's like ten euros a beer. So that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So how uh, how has uh, curling grown in uh, in Latvia? I know that there were what there were like four or five Latvian teams uh, in that tournament. Yeah. So. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it is growing, right? I think the, the one thing I've like, always appreciated about the Latvians, and I've kind of set up for their teams, that this is a mentality of kind of grinding really hard. They're grinder teams. So the reason this bond spiel's there is because their national championships are first week of Feb, and they didn't really have an event that their competitive teams could play in. So they just went out and created one and then invited teams from other nearby countries to enter it. And so it's set up 10 ends like a national championship is with an official, with pregame practice, with clocks. So everything's there is designed to simulate a national championships. Everything was kind of really well run from that perspective. Uh, they put their junior boys team in. Uh, they're two of the teams that are entering their championship. Um, they had uh, our toughest game was actually against. Uh, he's in the se- he's in seniors now, but he was there. Uh, I can't pronounce the name properly, but it's Rudisitz. Uh, that was the kind of I think you tweeted it out that game where the score went back and forth. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So he was he kind of jumped back in last second to make up numbers, but it's it's the classic case of some guy in his fifties been curling for forty years. Uh, and he kept drawing, you know, side button or we'd have multiple ends set up and he just wouldn't be rattled and could, could kind of pull something out of his hat several times. So that was, that was easily our hardest game of the week, but that's, that's kind of classic curling, I'd say. Um, so how, what's their, what's their, uh, participation numbers there? Uh, I didn't ask. I mean, the, the facility was used all the way through as soon as we were done at three and our flight was out the next day. So we were looking for practice ice and there was only one hour available afterwards. So um, we were able to kind of hire that out. But right after the junior girls team came on the ice and they were getting trained and then there were some corporate rentals afterwards. Uh, and it sounds like the rink is, it does a lot of um, 
kind of corporate rental business, but then also kind of pretty serious training for their national teams. Cool. Um, so what's uh, next Next for you guys is English championships? Yeah. So for me, it's mixed doubles. And then uh, we've kind of shaken it up a bit this year. We've decided to just book out a nice facility uh, for 10 days as the English Curling Association and then pay the cost of bringing in a proper ice tech so to kind of professionalize the championships a bit. And so we're doing mixed doubles, senior men's, senior women's, men's and women's all in a 10-day span. So I'm doing mixed doubles with Lisa and that'll run from Saturday, Feb 1st to the Tuesday day off. And then we start Thursday afternoon with the men's and that runs to the Sunday. Is that back at uh, Dumfries? Back at the Dumfries Ice nice. Bowl. Yes, sir. So it will be... It will be live streamed, and uh, one of the reasons it's going to be live streamed has to do with uh, the guest that we have on today. Um, he is one of the proprietors over at the Twelfth End Sports Network, um, and he's one of the reasons that, I, I, in my opinion, one of the reasons that curling has uh, grown as it has in the U.S., uh, especially the ability with the ability to watch the US Nationals but one of their uh, one of their TESN affiliates is the Dumfries Ice Bowl so thanks to TESN we're going to be able to watch Jonathan um, try and fail once again to uh, become the English men's champion uh, in February so let's bring him on uh, Joe Calabrese Joe thank you so much for for coming on the show thanks so much I'm really happy to be here yeah uh, so 12th in sports network um, Tell us, tell us how you guys. One, first of all, tell us about the name. Like, why, uh, why the twelfth end sports network? That's a good story. Uh, you ever have hammer in the eleventh end and blanket? Um, that's sort of how it came to be. We were in a semifinal game in our local Rochester curling club. My my business partner Brian Anderson and I. Um, I had a wide open house. I had uh, there were a couple corner guards that I had to navigate, uh, but uh, I, I just chucked it, and uh, as a result. Um, I, I sort of blame my vice, uh, Mike Mengel. He could have swept <laughs> it to hit one of those corner guards and kind of spill it into the house. But uh, in reality, um, I just chucked it. And so uh, we decided that uh, once we made this thing a, a business, that we would name it the 12th End Sports Network. And our slogan was for a while, let's play two more. <laughs> so at, and then 12th End Sports Network, and as far as getting started with the, with the live streaming, how did, you know, when did, when did this all start and like, what was, what was the idea? Yeah. You know, I moved back to the Rochester area from Wisconsin in, in 2010 and my, my men's team, uh, I took it sort of seriously. We were, we were sort of statting our own games in club, which is sort of ridiculous, but, um, that's what we were doing. <laughs> and, uh, we decided that the best thing for us to do was to videotape our games and make sure that I was not making stupid mistakes all the time as a skip. And, um, so we decided to break out our iPod, and uh, as a result of that, we were we were streaming games and then be able to go back and look at the mistakes that I was making uh, strategically. And uh, sort of one thing led to another. We wound up doing it at a, at a bond spiel, and uh, one of the the kids that was playing at the bond spiel said, "You know, my my grandparents would really like to watch this. Can you like share with them how to to see this?" And so we said, "Sure, why not?" And um, this was all around the same time where, where curl TV kind of had gone under. And, um, I guess at, as an end result of this, um, USA curling was also doing an audio cast of the U S nationals and which is sort of <laughs> kind of crazy in its own, own set of circumstances. Um, I don't know. I and mean, Ben Tucker is such, so instrumental in, in the starting of, our, of what we did as well, but he was sort of doing the audio cast and he'd weave in 20 minute stories, uh, in the audio cast, uh, also with the, the, uh, clock positions of rocks, you know, uh, the red rock is at two o'clock and the four foot. And I mean, you, you needed a strategy board just to sort of follow what was going on. Um, so we saw an opportunity, uh, when USA curling sort of called us and said, Hey, we see what you're doing here. You think you might want to come out to the nationals in Philadelphia. And we said, yeah, let's do that. And, and that's sort of how it started. Um, you know, that first year in Philadelphia was, was, super interesting as we were borrowing cameras from friends. Um, we, we bought two hunting pods that we put on the end of the ice and we shot in three different directions to kind of cover as much of the action as we could. Uh, we were up on, uh, 
the, like the top of the compressor room. Like I, I guess it, we had to climb a ladder to get all our stuff up the uh, up to the uh, the perch position where we could see what was going on. It was uh, it was sort of stressful, but a lot of fun, and that's sort of how we got started. Uh, was that the one where Heath McCormick ran the table? It, it was. Um, uh, it, yeah, it, it definitely was. So it was. So, uh, so I had I had just started curling, and I remember watching. That was like one of the that was the first event that I remember watching uh, on a live stream. I did not know that that was also your first time uh, doing doing the U.S. Nationals. Yeah, we've been doing it since uh, 2012. So this is going to be our ninth year doing the uh, the Nationals. And obviously things have come a long way, um, you know, and I've seen where your USA curling has kind of helped you guys do, uh, do some fundraising, um, you know, talk about what it's taken to get to the level you're at now and, you know, making the, making the decision to kind of in, invest in this and, uh, and make, and make it a business and make the, uh, make the broadcast as good as they are now. Well, thanks. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. USA Curling. Once we did that first one, they said, "Well, we need to have you have insurance because your your mounting cameras uh, up on, in the ceiling, and like who knows what could happen." And uh, we're like, "Yeah, that makes sense." So we we decided to make it a business. That's when the Twelfth End Sports Network actually came about. Uh, was was that um, that decision? I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, USA Curling has been a great partner to us over the years, helping us kind of put together fundraisers, matching grants um, to kind of build what we what was, like I said, was borrowed equipment at the time. And um, now uh, I, I tell people we have more HD cameras uh, for our Nationals telecast than they use at WrestleMania, which is kind of crazy in, in my <laughs> mind, uh, but it's the truth. And so, um, you know, we have, we cover three sheets fully, um, you know, maybe someday it'll be all five, but the idea is that, you know, you have that feature game and you can switch to a game whenever you want to. Um, we've integrated stats with curling zones. So that way when volunteers are putting in stats, uh, we can call on them at any time and, and bring them up and show how John Schuster is shooting about, uh, you know, 89% for a game, you know, that's, that's kind of terrific. Um, you know, then uh, my business partner, Brian Anderson, he's he's a sort of a computer geek, and he also has the ability to uh, do a lot of things in terms of like we brought a, tel- a tuckestrator, we call it because of its because uh, of Ben Tucker. It's it's named after him um, that allows us to do, you know, all the arrows and, um, you know, highlighting rocks and, you know, really doing a lot of the things that you might see on a TSN broadcast. We want to be able to do uh, that and much more um, this past couple of years, we've been doing something where we can measure stones before um, the, the officials get out there and sort of guess as to who might be shot rock. That's a lot of fun because um, I was wrong almost all the time before that. <laughs> um, and, and, and what I would say about our, our broadcast is that we take a lot of time and effort to try to make them as um, visually as good as we possibly can. Um, with the equipment that we've got. And uh, that has changed over the years. That first year, we, we had mismatched equipment. Now all of our overhead cameras are exactly the same. Um, you know, the on-ice cameras are, are the same. So um, there's a lot of consistency with what we're able to do. And now it's in HD, which is even better. How, how has that been all possible? Oh, man. Uh, you know, just all the fundraising that's done. And then at each event that we go to, um, we have to get a whole lot of volunteers to help. You know, we have on ice uh, crews that are just volunteers that we train, you know, 15, 20 minutes before each draw. And we just say, Hey, this is what we need you to do. And then Brian is in their ear the whole time, you know, kind of directing them as to what uh, to do. Um, You know, there's certainly software packages and shortcuts that Brian has been able to kind of put together to make it look like a full featured production. But really it's just Brian pushing buttons. Uh, He probably has, I want to say about 400 buttons that he has in front of him. He probably only uses about 12 of them, but uh, <laughs> there is a button for every single thing that we do. How difficult has it been? I'm obviously, you know, it kind of helps USA curling as well, having you guys there and the ability to have these games available, but how has it been working through the fact that NBC technically does have the rights to these games. It's just through its contract with, um, with the Olympic side of things. Like how have you guys been able to work around that and had, you know, has that been difficult at times? Uh, it's been a bit tricky at times. I mean, obviously we would love to have the content be available on our own website. Um, and that's not always possible. Um, but, 
um, you know, working with those crews when they, sometimes they come in, um, you know, particularly for the Olympic trials when we've done two of those now, they'll come in towards the end, do the playoffs. Um, one year they wound up using some of the beams that we put up onto the ceiling so we couldn't tear down our equipment. And so we had to kind of wait for them to be done. Uh, but, uh, honestly, most of the time they're very, um, complimentary about what we're able to do uh, with the crew that we have. And uh, we just try to stay out of their way and they, and they do a pretty good job of staying out of ours. Um, and it, it's a good relationship um, for USA Curling, I think, to have both of us involved. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously very costly, I think, to have a full television production come out for a week uh, to show every single draw. It's a lot less uh, costly to bring us in to do the same. But there, there hasn't been a situation where NBC has, has said, you know, hey, wait a minute, why aren't these guys paying a rights fee? No, I mean, because USA Curling uh, obviously goes through them and NBC has rights of first refusal, uh, okay. basically, and that's how that kind of works out. That's good. <laughs> I'm curious about uh, how much you partner with clubs, because I've noticed there's a lot of 12th End Sports Network kind of game stream from clubs around the U.S. So how did that take off and what was the idea behind that? You know, when we uh, were first sort of launching in Rochester um, and doing what we were doing, we, we noticed that, you know, there was sort of a void. And what happened with Curl TV, I think, um, that was the failure was to take the show on the road, so to speak. The cost of doing that is is enormous to a business, I think. And what we wanted to do was try to avoid that. And we noticed that if you put your own equipment into clubs, that you would show league games, you would show regular bond spiels, but then the occasional, like, bigger event, um, you might get to be shown on our network. So a good example of that is in Rochester this year, we have the GNC Mixed Club Playdowns, and that's a pretty big event for the GNCC. We'll get a lot of views for that. Uh, that'll be on our one of on our Rochester affiliate. But then, you know, uh, places like Dumfries and uh, Duluth that have had World Curling Tour events in the past, um, those also wind up on our, our network. And, you know, that's always a really good thing. Um, obviously not doing it this model, you know, not every club has exactly the same setup or exactly the same types of cameras, but we tried as much as we can to kind of set a standard as to what we expect out of an affiliate. Um, you know, being able to see both houses is a big deal. Um, you know, I'm sure you all have seen all of the teams try to do this sort of the, the Facebook live. And that's sort mm -hmm. of exactly what we did when we first started. We, we just pointed uh, iPod touch down the back of the ice and you can see maybe that the house closest to you, but whatever was going on on the other end was just not viewable. And so we try to avoid that with our affiliates. So how much like ballpark for a rink, if they're looking at kind of installing and partnering with you, what, how much is their equipment outlay kind of ballpark? Well, on the equipment side of things, it really varies. It could, it could be, you know, hundreds of dollars to $10,000. It really depends on how many sheets that you want to try to do, um, uh, the types of software that you want to bring in, but it, I think the cost, can really vary um, depending on the type of software that you might want to have. You know, our fee, we only charge people a hundred bucks to get started uh, to get our score streamer software, which is the stuff that you might see at nationals with the uh, overlays and all that. Um, only because we want to make sure that people are serious about going forward. We're not trying to make money off of the affiliates in that way. So um, really it's pretty cost effective if you want to do it that way. Oddly, so I don't know why I'm more interested in the grassroots part of Healthline Sports Network, but I actually think it does serve value, right? Like two of my uh, favorite curling memories uh, over the last few years are because they were live streamed. So one was with Ryan. We were playing in the the Cherry Blossom. Uh, you remember that shot, Ryan? Or uh, yeah, well, yeah, you made me go back and snag it and then post it snag to social it. media. The shot was good, but my favorite part was actually the trash talks. So this was more of a you know a social spiel, uh, free beer. So uh, the commentators were being a bit loose lipped. <laughs> so the, to me, the favorite part was they're just like there's. I basically go, oh, if we try this, there might be two there. Uh, and they're just like behind, I don't hear it cause I'm on the ice, but like, oh, there's like no shot. If you try, you know, there's basically mocking me and then like the shots made and then it's like, Oh my, you know, it's kind of a funny, funny bit of banter. Uh, and so that was kind of a fun moment. And the other ones, uh, it's kind of become a team joke with us, but, uh, our skip Greg, uh, Dunn, uh, broke his broom in the men's championship. Uh, he missed a shot, slammed his broom, which you shouldn't do, especially under the new broom rules broke his broom. So we had to play the last two ends with Greg basically 
holding a broom with no broom head because <laughs> I was like under the new <laughs> sweeping rules. So that that video has now been looked at like 950 times for like, uh, you know, your average English curling game gets maybe 20 views or something. So, so obviously the word got out somewhere about that. But I think it's it's kind of changed the game with all the streaming, not just for um, the high profile people that give like a bit more show for say US nationals. But I think even just at these a club level or kind of more social bond spiels, being able to live stream that, even just getting your buddies back home to kind of say something. I know if I'm ever playing on a live stream anywhere in the world, Ryan has an uncanny ability to have tweeted at me or texted at me all my misses by the time I get off the ice. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's, I mean, I think it actually adds a lot of fun and kind of builds another social element just into the grassroots part of the game too. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, um, I get tweets every once in a while, or not tweets, I'm text, I'm excuse me, sorry, uh, every once in a while from club members who who are watching a stream that we're doing at our home club and say, did you see that? And I'll say, no, I'm not really looking. Let me go back and take a look. And one of these, uh, Rebecca Andrew, who who plays for uh, Steph Seneker, uh, was in a league game on a random Tuesday night and made a quintuple takeout. Um, and and it was amazing. It was one of these shots where it's like, Oh my goodness, everything had to work perfectly. And it did. And so we had that, um, you know, recorded and we're able to kind of, you know, show it out to other people. And that was a lot of fun, but you know, even on the corporate side, which is kind of funny, like our club gets a lot of uh, business people who come in and they rent the ice and we, we show them to learn to curl and we throw them out there for a few games. And a lot of times those are streamed also. And it's, it's something that they can also take back to their, you know, their families and friends and the people who weren't able to make it uh, from their company. So um, I, I think you're right from a social aspect. It's it's one more way um, to kind of you know bring the game to people. Um, it's funny in, in Rochester, um, we had to vote to sort of bring this to, you know, online, I guess, so to speak. You know, there are people who are concerned. Um, now it's just part of our waiver. Everybody accepts it. Everybody's okay with it. Um, it's just every, you know, it's just part of our club now. Um, but at the beginning, I remember people saying, you know, I don't know if this is like the right thing. I might say something wrong, um, you know, and, and other people here. And, you know, there's still probably a chance of that. We have microphones in the middle of our club. <laughs> if you're in just the right place, <laughs> say just the wrong thing, it could happen. But uh, for the most part, people are pretty well behaved. Yeah. And it, as far as growing the game to people that, don't curl or aren't curling fans, you know, I'll, I'll watch worlds and I'll watch, you know, Scotty's and the briar on, you know, the main telecasts and no, none of my friends are going to turn it, tune in to watch that. But if I tweet out, Hey, in 20 minutes, my game is being streamed. Um, if I'm at some random spiel, like a lot of my buddies are going to sit there and watch it, <laughs> even though it's not quality <laughs> curling. <laughs> Right. And maybe have no idea what's happening or, you know, I mean, that, that they're just there to watch it, which is great. I mean, and they're also, you know, um, it's the, it's the foibles too, right. You know, somebody falls, you know, and you know, it's hopefully they're not hurt, but I mean, one of those, it's like one of those America's funniest home videos kind of things too. I mean, anything could possibly happen. And uh, that's kind of fun too. Oh yeah. I've fallen and gotten off the ice and gotten and had like three text messages. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happened to us, to us at World Mix. We were playing Korea, and uh, both Stu and Fiona, in the same end, tripped over stones, <laughs> like wiped out. So that and we actually were able to go back and edit it together to like a little team kind of joke video, to kind of <laughs> it off sort of thing. So World yeah, Mix it's, highlights, it's yeah, World basically, yeah, team brand highlights. But uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good for both the gaffes and for the great shots. And, right. you know, there's so many times a great shot's made in club play and there's no record of it, or at least wasn't right. back in the past. But with cameras everywhere now, I think that that changes the game a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, hopefully, you know, as more and more, you know, clubs are doing this, the eight-enders will get recorded and you'll sort of see, you know, that from more than just the picture that's shown at the end. You can dissect what happened. So looking at when you um, when you guys are going to nationals this year, like what is you know how far in advance do you start packing? What is uh, what is your process, and then how long how long are you usually there? Well, the process normally starts um, the day after we get back, and <laughs> we realize <laughs> all the things that we maybe have done wrong, or things that we need that we don't have. And sometimes you know we always put something in our budget for an equipment upgrade of some sort. Um, sometimes it's things that you might never see, um, 
you know, microphone uh, cords, things that, you know, might've caused a, a hum or a hiss of some sort. Um, but that process begins immediately. Um, Brian, I would say maybe six months ahead of time, we'll start tinkering with the software to see if there's something new that we want to bring to the table. This year, we have something called the Spotlight, which is going to allow us to kind of show the rocks that we're talking about in sort of a, a spotlight hue. I wouldn't call it Fox Tracks um, yet, but it's it's in that sort of neighborhood. <laughs> uh, but it's just something new that we're trying to bring to the table. I mean, the whole idea of measuring stones was something that I haven't seen anybody else do. This spotlight thing is is kind of new. Uh, we'll try that. Uh, last year, we tried something uh where we use some of our mixed doubles uh, equipment to kind of show who might have the advantage at a particular time. Um, because I think people who are at home, um, sometimes a good shot or a bad shot isn't immediately clear. And so um, we try to do that. Uh, but we're packing right now. Um, we send things out maybe 10 days ahead of time uh, to, the, uh, to the arena. Uh, they'll receive it, kind of store it for us. We, we get out there the Thursday before the event. We start setting up. And uh, we're ready to go on Saturday when the when the first rocks fly. So this is this year it's in Spokane, or I guess it's it's just outside of Spokane, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. So this is not at the the WHL arena. Then this is this in kind of a smaller smaller facility. Yeah, it's a, it's uh, the college's uh, arena, and I don't know the name of it off the top of uh, my head. Should be should be EWU. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So yeah, so it's not in it's not in the bigger arena there in Spokane. What are the advantages um, of that to you guys? And then what are what are some of the advantages of doing it in some of the bigger arenas like Jacksonville? Well, you know, um, some of the bigger arenas might have jumbotrons that we have to try to put our feed into, which is sometimes great and sometimes not so great. Uh, imagine if you're in one of those arenas and somebody dumb like me is drawing up some sort of crazy shot and then they look up and say, Oh, Hey, that's there. And then they do something silly. Um, that's my biggest fear is that somebody does something because they're looking at what we're doing, drawing it up. And if that happens, boy, that's their own fault. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I think in the smaller arenas, it's nice because like, People can see us. They know where we're at. We get a lot of visitors. It's kind of fun to kind of show people what we are capable of doing. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to be in a smaller arena, I think, um, from that perspective. It, from setting up perspective, it's generally the same. We, we rent trusses. Um, you know, the amount of setup time doesn't really change that much for us, whether it's big or small. Um, but I, too, kind of like the intimate factor. I, I also like seeing, you know, when... A, arena is sort of full that Jacksonville one was uh, was tough in terms of like sort of watching what was going on in the stands there just wasn't a, there weren't a lot of people in comparison to the number of seats in the building yeah that uh, that uh, that arena is managed by a company that I used to work for and I remember them saying that they were going in there and I was like I don't think they have a curtaining system for the upper deck I'm not sure how this is gonna look <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the good news is we're always shooting in the same direction. So like that stuff we didn't see as much. But I mean, if we do, we always do sort of like the opening long shot, um, where, you know, you're sort of looking at the arena over all five sheets. And if, you, if you're looking at that and you're saying, oh, geez, there's like 25 people in the stands. And, you know, I always wondered how they made money on that. And I, you know, the, the, the guy who ran the arena said, yeah, we did fine on the alcohol. It wasn't a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. People forget you don't need a whole lot of people in the arena to make money <laughs> if it's right. the right kind of people. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's the what's the future for you guys as far as the the broadcast? You know, is there anything that you want to add? I mean, this is it's gotten to the point that it's no longer it's it's not a situation where we can say, oh yeah, you should watch the U.S. Nationals on TESN. It's like a professional broadcast now. It's you need to watch the nationals on TESN. It is a professional broadcast. Like what's, what's the, what's the next step for you guys? You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I sort of envision at some point that some of these U S events wind up on some sort of cable television. And I don't know exactly the outlet for that yet, but these are events that generally nobody has the rights to. Um, I do think that we have an advantage in, that we're sort of in some of these clubs and we may be able to help um, that come together. Um, but there's nothing imminent um, around that. But I do see that is something that's very possible as the as the uh, game grows over the next couple of years. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to continue to do these webcasts uh, for nationals, whether it's this or you know other national championships. 
Um, our day jobs do get in the way sometimes and that how much time we can actually spend on the road um, is is an issue. Um, so um, we'll sort of have to see how that plays out. I do think that there's a lot of talent out there now, other people doing very similar things that can kind of help um, the game progress in that way. I really think in five years, maybe even less than that, it's going to kind of work out for you guys anyway. Because like every TV just about now is connected. Like uh, all the TVs that I have now are connected TVs. And I watch a lot of stuff mostly through Roku. And so I can go on there and I can go to YouTube and throw in and you know the YouTube channel or whatever is on my television. And it's like, you know, watching an HD feed off of cable. I think that in five years, as more and more people get connected TVs, you're not even going to have to worry about, um, partnering with an actual network, you're going to be able to just have it available either through Roku or through streaming. And it's not something where, you know, you have to pull it up on your phone and then stream it to your Chromecast to have it be on there. You're going to be able to just connect through the connected TV. Like with Roku, you USA Curling or you guys could have your own Roku channel right now and I could add it and be able to watch stuff. That's how I watch uh, ridiculously... Uh, obscure college football games is through that. <laughs> like I can get, um, like if I want to watch Division Two football, if there's a, you know, if I want to, if I want to watch, um, uh, you know, you you're from you're from uh, Western New York and went to school in Pennsylvania. If I want to watch some P- PSAC football, I just add the PSAC Roku channel to my Roku and I can sit there and watch games. I'm sure that that's going to be the way. Uh, the way of the future for, for USA curling here in five years or less. Yeah, I think it probably makes sense for um, USA curling to have its own um, channel on a, on a platform sort of like that. And I, I obviously we're sort of a logical partner for them. If that's something that they're wanting to do. Um, I, I do tend to agree with you. I, I have, uh, you know, Amazon fire sticks, I, you know, with all the apps and, and all that kind of stuff to kind of watch what I need to watch when I want to watch it. And I, and I think that obviously that's the, uh, the goal, but, um, I do think that there's still something to having it be on TV that is, um, I don't know, alluring to some degree in terms of trying to attract new people who aren't necessarily searching mm-hmm. for that content immediately. Well, yeah. And that's something that they talked about when I was down at, uh, when I, uh, when I was down at uh, curling night, the curling night in America thing, they're all very much, you know, most of the players were saying, you know, we've, we've had our success at the Olympics. The next thing is getting more, uh, more curling on broadcast television. And that's the next way of growing the sport. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Um, curling night in America is an interesting one because it's taped so far in advance. I don't think like, I'm not the audience for that. Like it just no, doesn't feel not. that way. And, um, I think we need more events like that. In fact, I've talked before about how I really wish we had an event at the beginning of the year that was TV friendly um, because I think it would help kick off so much more at a local curling club and grow the sport if we had that. Um, nationals being sort of towards the end of the uh, the the curling, traditional curling year. And I mean, maybe that's not as important in the U.S. with so many arena clubs now, but um, I don't think is is the ideal placement for uh, the biggest event of the year, so to speak. I kind of wish it was more like yeah. the Daytona 500. And it was like, you know, your biggest event year was the, the kickoff of the event of the year instead of the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I think they should do, I think USA curling really should look at doing some kind of ho- high profile invitational late August, early September, bring out a lot of the international teams and somehow get it on TV. Uh, like that time of year, international teams are just looking for ice time and good quality competition. So something maybe just one tier below a slam that'll entice the the name brand teams out and then also kind of fold on the USA teams. So, you know, I don't I don't have a problem with the curling net in America concept. I just think it's it'd be better if it was just run as a an, a weekend event that's kind of staged just exactly like a slam is and run by USA curling to help promote the brand and, and give their high profile teams uh, a chance to play against the world's best. I really think that's when the Continental Cup needs to be. I th- putting it in January when the teams really are more focused on their playdowns probably doesn't lead to the best curling. I think if you put it 
at the beginning of the year where teams can use it as a tune-up. I think that they'll take it a little more seriously. I mean, as serious as you can take a an all-star game, basically, because that's what it is. Yeah, I, I can't, I, the Continental Cup is such an interesting event, and I, I put out on Facebook um, uh, last week how I was had a disdain for the idea that, that the U.S. wasn't involved in it, and I don't know what the decision was around that and how that occurred, but um, I really wish that the U.S. was involved in it, that they had a U.S. broadcast partner um, to kind of bring it out. Um, I think it would be, a, I think it'd be a bigger deal um, in the U.S. If, if it, there was a U.S. broadcast partner for it. Yeah, and that that would, it would have to be something where uh, USA Curling became the host of an event like that. Because as long as I mean, it's a Curling Canada event, so they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. What are what are you what are you most looking forward to at this year's nationals? You know, we have most of the field. We still need to add one women's team and one men's team. Um, you've been at a lot of these. Is there anything about, um, about this year's event that you're kind of most looking forward to? You know, I think on the women's side, I'm kind of curious as to if anybody can really do anything about the team Roth, which is, I guess, team Peterson at the moment, team Sinclair, um, you know, duality there at the top. I, I, I mean, you saw Seneca kind of, uh, break through last year, then they, they haven't qualified for this year's mm-hmm. event. You've got a lot of younger teams, I would say. And then you've got Cassie Potter kind of uh, coming back this year. I'm kind of looking forward to see what they can bring to the table. They certainly have a lot of uh, experience and um, capability. But I, can they can they bring it when it comes to those two top teams? And I just don't know if anybody can challenge them right now. Yeah, and you've really – yeah, youth is definitely served on the women's side of the field and because two of the qualifiers from – the challenger event were junior teams and not just junior teams, but junior teams that are not a part of the high performance program. I think that was the part that, that really surprised people, but you have, uh, Christine McMakin, who that's, that is Sandra McMakin's daughter, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. So she, yeah, she's in it. And then Ariel Traxler, who we've seen at this event before. Um, so two, yeah, the, I think that it says a lot about, um, junior curling in the U S and how much it's grown that you have two non high performance teams that went ahead and won at the challenger round to qualify for, for nationals. And we will likely see probably team Strauss, the newly crowned, uh, junior champion. I, I have a feeling that they will be the additional team, uh, added, added as the eighth team to nationals, but it, how, how have you seen things kind of, um, evolved since the high performance program really started uh, taking hold here in the U.S. How have you how have you seen it kind of affect this event? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think the quality of the team. I'm going to talk on the women's side, I guess, first. That the quality of the teams, I think, has gotten better um, over the last few years. And you know, we had years where we couldn't even fill eight teams, and that's. Um, I think that's is a big problem for a national championship, particularly when you want to take it uh, to the next level. Um, I do think that the HP program has discouraged some of the folks maybe like a, who, who are similar to Cassie Potter and his experience from sort of putting together teams and, and trying to challenge for world spots because they don't feel that maybe it's really accessible to them. Um, but you see a team like Seneca go out um, last year, they would have had enough points to kind of, I think, put yep. it together. Um, yeah, if they had won, they would have been, they would have been the representative at worlds. They had enough points. So you just have to get out there on tour. I I think that's the key. And, and what I'm, what I'm sort of seeing, I think, um, you know, Traxler and McMakin, you know, they're juniors. I hope that they stick with it. I think those are two very talented skips. Um, Ariel throws a lead, but you know, calls a terrific game. She, I, I I know I've talked about this on the extra extra run podcast, but I just am really impressed with her personally. I think she's very smart. Um, I watched a lot of her games at junior, uh, I'm sorry, at the challenge round. Um, I always felt like there was a good reason for all the decisions that she made. Um, there are times at nationals, um, particularly years ago when I would watch games and just be befuddled by some of the choices that some skips would make. Um, and I don't see that out of either of these two, uh, two teams. And I, that, 
that excites me about the future, I guess, of uh, the women's division. I think that there's something there uh, for both of those teams, and I, I hope they continue. To be honest, I've just been playing and coaching so much, I have not watched much curling this year. So to to give you a, a sense of how out of it I am, I kind of logged into the order of merit standings and noticed that Rich Rooney was like way ahead of, not way ahead, but several pl- spots ahead of Schuster this year in the the order of merit place. And that's not surprising. They, they've been posting some good results on tour. So do we think that this is Richie's year that he, he dethrones Schuster and uh, kind of gets back to Worlds? Could be Dropkin's year too. Yeah, Corey's had a good year also. So is this is this kind of the end of the the Schuster run? <laughs> is that I it? Don't, I don't know it's if I knife and they're done. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I guess what I would say is I I feel in the extracts run I sort of predicted there'd be a Dropkin Ruin final. I, I certainly think Schuster's going to be in the mix. Um, I I like the consistency that Dropkin's kind of been putting out there. Uh, the slam they made the, the, this past weekend, the Canadian Open, they made the quarterfinals. So um, obviously they're still playing very, very well. But you're right, Rich Runin's team has been posting results all year. They made the the switch, and now you know Greg's throwing third, Rich is throwing fourth, and you know I, Rich when he's on fire is as good as anybody in the game. Um, the question is, will he be on fire that week? And I, that's what I'm not sure about. It's just the matchups, right? I think I think any of those three teams is. I, let's put it this way: I'd be surprised if it was anyone other than those three teams. But there's also, you know, in curling, you go look to some kind of pretty pretty interesting records head to head between people. So I'm pretty sure Rich's record head to head against Schuster's not a winning one. But um, uh, do we have any confirmation on that? Or but um, that in the back of my mind is the last I saw. But. Um, so it's a question of does that matchup matter or have the results kind of a sign that there's possible breakthrough here for Rich to take it to the next level? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I guess the other team that's sort of out there is Team Burr. Um, and and yeah. I think style-wise, they sometimes present matchup problems for, for teams. Um, Todd is sort of – he's sort of known as being a defensive skip who sort of changed his stripes when he was playing with Rich Ruinen. And I think – Todd has a more aggressive game now, but I think, you know, he can always rely on that hit game in a way that um, some teams aren't as good at dealing with, um, you know, that patient style is sort of the old Craig Brown, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll blanket a death until I get my two. And um, maybe that's what, I, I don't know, maybe that's sort of a dark horse in this. They were bronze last year. So, I mean, it's not really that much of a dark horse, but um, you know, they're, they're a possibility. And then you look at, uh, uh, Dominic Marquis uh, from Arkansas, but not really from Arkansas. Maybe you know a little bit more about this, Jonathan, than I do. But uh, the watchmaker, who uh, also is Olympian, um, maybe has a chance. Uh, brings in Jason Smith as their fifth. That should be interesting too. Yeah. So he's actually Jonathan. He has actually played again with uh, with and against uh, Mark No at the Kansas City Bond Spiel. Um, that's how, that's how I know of Dom Merke. Um, so yeah, he's from, he's a Swiss national who has moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas, but, um, obviously being from Switzerland, still a really good curler. And I guess he technically, what they technically curl out of, um, they technically curl out of four seasons, I think. I think you're right there. Cause, uh, Steve Dropkin, I think is from up there. Yeah, but yeah, he he lives in Arkansas, and I mean, in in all likelihood, he is the best curler in Arkansas. Um, I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine he isn't. Uh, but yeah, yeah there's uh, Judy Willingham was from Arkansas, for ah. <laughs> the DFW club. Uh, so there's her, but there's there also was a really weird arena club down there that wasn't part of the USCA. Um, thing out of Springfield, Arkansas. Yeah, I think he was part of that. So he was part of that. So they actually had they would actually arena curl once a week and had stones, but they just wouldn't ever kind of connect up so to USA curling for whatever reason. So he's part of that crowd then. Yeah, and I mean he's a obviously he's a really good curler. He played in the Olympics um for well he was an alternate at the Olympics, did not play in the Olympics, was an alternate in the Olympics for um 
for Switzerland uh, this last time around. He's played in Worlds for Switzerland. I think I think he's eligible because it has been more than two years since he actually was on the ice playing in a Swiss uniform. So I think that's how he's eligible uh, here. But I don't know. I have no idea if they have enough points that if they won um, – that they would be team USA. I don't think so. Um, because they, because they were not one, they were not one of the five teams that qualified based off of points. They came through, uh, the challenger round. I think they, they were in an a qualifier and then I think wound up qualifying out of the C. So how, when did he play for Switzerland? Uh, I want to say like 2015. Which when he actually, pl- um, no, he played with De Cruz. Yeah, he played with the Cruz. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay. he played so with the Cruz for a while. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's right, a, so no, really oh no, he's a very yeah, good yeah. curler. And I mean, he okay. and he's with Stephen Dropkin. I mean, there's this this team did not accidentally qualify for USA Nationals. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is so. This is definitely a dark horse pick. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, they're yeah, a very they're no. they're a very solid team. Um, and they picked up Jason Smith too. So like, I yep. mean, I, I think that yeah. if they felt they had any. Um, weaknesses. I, certainly, Jason is somebody who can you know fit right in and mm-hmm. and take over pretty much any spot. Yeah, yeah. So the team, uh, the team I like um, is Team Brundage. Uh, one of those reasons is Evan Workin, the their third. For whatever reason, whenever he curls, he curls in a University of Oklahoma hat, uh, which is hilarious. And uh, also their their lead, Cameron Rittenauer, is the only arena curler. I guess Dom, I don't know if Dom counts. Um, he might count. Uh, Cameron Rittenauer is the only arena curler on either side, either the men's or women's side. He actually skipped Sioux Falls Curling Club at last year's uh, arena national championships. He's actually only been curling a few years, like a handful of years. I think he still qualifies as an under five. Uh, but he's playing lead on this team, and he's uh, he skipped in in last year's Arena Nationals. I'm going to break out the Tuckestrator this year on Jed Brundage's slide, um, just so that you're. Oh, aware. it's it's phenomenal! <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I love it. I mean, I can't understand how he ever throws rock straight, but he does it very consistently. Um, but but that that uh, those legs are at, at least a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. to anything he's throwing at. You you need to to measure it and see at which angle um, he is most accurate um, to see if it's <laughs> to see if it's more than if if you know if he's if he's more than forty five degrees you know if he's if he's almost ninety degrees you know he's at about an eighty percent curler but if he ever gets that leg back to where it's almost um, almost straight up and down you know his percentage goes way down I think I would love to see those stats <laughs> I'll see if I'll see if Brian can work that out. Um, but yeah, in, in, like you guys said, I don't, I, I will never count out Todd Burr. Uh, I'm penciling him into the playoffs cause that's kind of what you do whenever Todd Burr qualifies for, for USA nationals, you can pretty much pencil him into the playoffs and it's not, he's got a pretty solid team. He's got Andrew Stapera and Hunter Clausen uh, on his team as well. That's a, that's pretty, is Hunter still living on Todd Burr's couch? Do you know? <laughs> I, I'm not aware. I'm hopeful that that's not the case, but you never know. I think I remember two years ago that was the story. Was Hunter? Because um, I guess he he uh, Jonathan and I curled against him at a spiel um, at Potomac because he's from Potomac Curling Club. And I guess uh, when they were gearing up for nationals, Hunter went out to Minnesota and was basically living on Todd Burr's couch while they were getting ready for nationals. <laughs> making food, you know, helping out around the house. That was a, that was a big story. Uh, what, what yeah. do you, what do you know about the Dunham team? Cause this is two years in a row that they have qualified based on points that they haven't even had to go to uh, the challenger round. Um, I don't know much about them. Uh, the one thing I do know from looking it up is Scott Dunham went to the university of Virginia, so I will not be rooting for this team. Uh, but what can you tell <laughs> us about Scott Dunham and his, his and his team? <laughs> Well, last year they were four and five. They were tied for fifth. Um, it was, I think it was Scott's first time there, but you know, he picked up um, Alex Leichter. Um, he's got his brother, Andy, um, Cody Klosser. I, Cody, uh, I think plays out of the Philadelphia area, if I remember correctly, or, or Potomac, one or the other. So East coast team. Um, 
you know, Scott, good skip. Um, my favorite part of this team is that he yells at his brother, Andy, constantly to sweep. It's Andy, <laughs> Andy, 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 Andy. Um, and I know um, if, if you listen to our webcast, it'll just be constant. And what was funny was there was a time he had another Andrew on his team. And so he would just yell, Andy, 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 but it was always at his brother. It wasn't at the other guy. It was just at his brother. Now, I, Andy also, um, Andy has a, a, a warm place in my heart because he's a Penn State uh, uh, guy and, and he's helping with the Penn State Curling Club and I'm a Penn State mm-hmm. alumni. So um, I'm always rooting for Team Dono. Yeah, we talked to, uh, we talked to the... Um, we talked to the president of the Penn State Curling Club on the podcast a few weeks ago. That was a fun, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing some really Um, unique and fun things over there. Yeah. It sounds like it. And, uh, I'm very interested to see if that club continues to grow. Um, and, and just based off of the amount of student participation they've been able to, they've been able to get. Um, I think the other interesting story on the men's side is uh, Kyle Kakala's team and uh, the return of JP Munich to uh, U S nationals. He was a fan favorite last year. Do you want to tell people why? (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, JT was, I think he was playing with Dunham. I'm pretty sure he was playing Dunham last year. And, um, I thought he was on the he was on the junior he, he was on uh, the other he was on the other junior oh, maybe team you're right. the Strauss Strauss team I yeah think, you're right yeah I'm team sorry. Strauss. Strauss you're right yeah. that's right it was team Strauss and so uh, you know, he was the lead and he would he'd throw with a, uh, his mitt in his mouth um, and so you know we now that we have these HD cameras and we can zoom in on the thrower every time. <sighs> Um, he would throw, I'd start cracking up in the background. I had to turn my mic on mute half the time. It was just too funny to watch. And um, it, it, so he got the uh, nickname Mittmouth. And so that was trending on Twitter, I think, for a little while. Um, and uh, you know, screen grabs and the whole thing. And then, you know, uh, Photoshop, you know, putting other things uh, in his mouth. I think there was just, it was just a crazy, crazy event um, for him. And I think he embraced it, which was, which was great too. Um, you know, it's, that could certainly go the other way and people aren't, wouldn't be crazy about that necessarily, but he embraced it. And, uh, I, I'm certainly happy to see JP back. Yeah. He, uh, he on the men's side and then team Seneker on the women's side, those were really the people's champions, uh, from last year's event. Is there, can you give us anybody that maybe we don't know about, um, yet who might become the viral star of this year's USA nationals? That's a good question. I think based on the way that the teams are sort of playing out right now, that Steve Berklid may get in as a consolation from the challenge round. Um, that's and good. If that's the case. I mean, up being in the, in the Pacific Northwest, I think that he may be the fan favorite. Um, you know, he's sort of the, the guy behind a lot of antics, you know, big fat heads and things like that. I mean, there's, you never know what might happen. Um, he, they, they may have a, a really strong following, uh, sort of similar to what you saw maybe in Philadelphia for McCormick's team back in the day. The the only thing that disappoints me about Berkeley's team possibly getting into this event as the as that alternate for that, that last men's spot is how awesome he was when you guys had him on broadcasting games last year. And if he wasn't actually playing, that means that there were more draws that he could be on the mic. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, uh, really enthusiastic about it. And it's, I love having, um, I think I had, I had Steve and Stephanie Seneca both in the booth at the same time last year. And I just said, Hey, there's, there's this is all draw. This is an all draw game. There's all aggression, no hitting, uh, no defense. That's the way I, 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 uh, kind of promoted that game out. Um, and, and they delivered, you know, both of them are really great on the mic, Steve in particular. And I, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we'll get Steve on the mic for at least a game if he's out there. Um, this year, I, I can mention that uh, Sean Murray, who's a, sort of a fan favorite uh, on the mic, is also going to be out there for the entire week uh, doing all the, uh, the color commentary. So uh, we may have some three-person booths at times, but it's mostly going to be Sean and I uh, on the okay. mic for nationals this year. That's good. Uh, I think, I think my, all right. So my pick for, um, for, for viral sensation is going to be Dom Merke. Um, one, just the, uh, you know, just, just the, the novelty of him technically curling out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And two, I I think he's going to be a fan favorite, especially among the, uh, the female viewership of 
of USA Nationals. <laughs> is he is he uh, <laughs> is he fan friendly, so to speak? He's a handsome man. I see. I could see I could see us doing remotes um, uh, as part of the broadcast and, and <laughs> live look ins from Arkansas at the watch parties uh, for Don Murphy and, and you know maybe uh, you know local Arby's or something. I I don't know. I mean, who knows what could happen? Uh, we always try to do fun videos like that. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, I guess we're we kind of want to be aware of, of your time, Joe, and we can't thank you enough for coming on. I guess before we get out of here, uh, just a couple things. First, um, on the men's and women's side, do you want to give me your champion and then kind of a, a dark horse, a team that maybe isn't being looked at that you think might uh, be competing for a playoff spot late in the week? Uh, all right. So I think on the women's side, let's see. Uh, three teams get playoff spots on the women's side. So I think it's probably going to be Peterson Sinclair. I mean, that boring, but true. And then um, boy, that third team, I think it's going to be between Potter and Traxler and maybe Mick Macon. Um, I think, boy, if I had to pick today, uh, that third spot's probably going to be Mick Macon. I don't know. It's tough. That's a tough one. Um, I, I think of McMakin as my spirit skip. She she is somebody that I love to listen to on the mic. Um, so when she's um, on on the web stream, be sure to tune in. She's a lot of fun to listen to. And then um, I guess on the and so for a winner, I guess I got to go with Peterson. I think they're playing the best right now that with the uh, uh, the Slam quarterfinal uh, in their recent rearview mirror. I think that they're they're playing the best right now, and so I'm going to go with them. Uh, on the men's side, I already sort of said it's going to uh, – there's four teams on the men's side, so Runin Dropkin for sure. I guess Schuster and – boy, it's boring to say Burr, but it's probably true. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Dunham um, just to say something okay. kind of fun. Um, and then I think uh, Dropkin's going to be your winner. That's sort of the way I, I oh, look wow. at the consistency. I think they probably are going to pull it out. That's just my guess at the moment. And they did finally win a a final, so it's not like they're coming into this looking to win a final for the first time. They not only did they do it, they they did it at the at a friggin' slam. <laughs> they <Yeah>. didn't. <laughs> they That's definitely true. got rid of. They definitely got rid of that ofer in finals um, with a vengeance uh, there in that one. And as, if I remember correctly, that was the team that gave Schuster their only loss at last year's national. So I, I think that they have some recency uh, you know, results to sort of feel like they have a, a real good shot. All right. Well, Joe, um, tell us how people can find the broadcast, how they can find TESN, where they can follow you on social media, and even like if, if – if uh, someone from a club who hasn't thought of doing web streaming is listening to this and now they think, okay, this is something we want to try, how can they get a hold of you and how can they, uh, how can they get their own web streaming started? Sure. Uh, well, if you want to find out what TESN is all about, you can go to TESN.us and that will uh, show you all of our affiliates, who's live at the particular moment, uh, our schedule. Uh, sort of our master schedule, uh, all the affiliates that participate in that, uh, they put their schedule out there so you can see when games are going to be happening uh, all week. Uh, we normally have curling on every single day, so you have uh, nothing to worry about if you want to get your curling fix. Uh, be sure to check out our Extra Extra End podcast with, with Price Atkinson and uh, sometimes me, but right now Jenna Martin's the co-host, uh, so that's a lot of fun as well. Uh, if you want to check out the uh, Nationals, you're going to go to usacurl.org. Uh, that's where you're going to find the web stream um, for U.S. Nationals. Uh, and that's going to be uh, starting, boy, it's coming up, February, second week of February. Uh, be ready to go because that's a, we're going to have uh, three to four draws a day uh, all the way through the finals. And uh, if you're interested in kind of learning more about what it is to be a TESN affiliate, you can email me at joe at tesn.us. All right. And, oh, is there uh, anything we can look forward to here coming up on Extra Extra End? Do you guys have anything special uh, planned to, to preview nationals? Oh, I'm sure that uh, Price and Jenna will have uh, their own nationals preview. And I don't, I don't know if I'll be jumping in on that or not. It sort of depends on their schedule uh, as they're the hosts now. <laughs> I've given that up as much as I can. Uh, but they do a terrific job. Price and Jenna really break things down in uh, a good way. And 
if you're looking for uh, someone else's opinion on this, they're, they're a good place to go. All right. Thanks so much, Joe. And uh, good luck to you guys out there in Washington. Have a good trip and have a good broadcast. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on the, on the uh, podcast. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at curlingpodcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at rocksacrossthepond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.